Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Evelyn Partners Investment Podcast, which brings together the Smith & Williamson and Tilney Investment Podcasts. I'm Cherry Raynard, an investment writer at Evelyn Partners. And with me today are Ben Seeger-Scott, our head of multi-asset funds, and Daniel Casali, head of investment strategy. We're going to be discussing whether there's any end in sight to the turbulence in markets and where, if anywhere, investors can find opportunities. We're recording the podcast from our homes today on Monday, the 20th of June, 2022. And before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or a recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk, depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. Okay, welcome, Ben. Welcome, Daniel. Um, let's kick off with a look at markets. Um, it briefly seemed like we were getting some reprieve in markets with an improving performance from China and from the technology sector. However, volatility has ratcheted up again in the last couple of weeks. Ben, I wonder if you can try and make some sense of this for us. Is it is it possible to discern any patterns? Well, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's always dangerous to try and, and discern too many patterns. It does feed into some of our our human biases uh, and, and tendency to see patterns in things. Sometimes there are patterns, sometimes there aren't. And it's easy to sort of rationalise post-fact with all of that hindsight bias. But as always, there's never one single factor driving markets. It's a reflection of, of all the different views, some positive, some negative, and sort of netting out into, into a single relatively crude figure. But I think one can draw out a, a sort of common theme and perhaps one of the, 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 the main drivers mixed in with the others is all really around valuation and sentiment, I would say, as opposed to some of the, the economic and company fundamentals. So most of the market movements we've seen, again, the re-acceleration in the last month or so, it is once again about inflation and interest rate uh, response expectations. And that can create quite a tough environment particularly for multi-asset funds, because there you have uh, typically both equities and bonds performing quite poorly. Some points of the cycle, one tends to expect those two asset classes to sort of perform uh, in opposite directions. But when you have inflation concerns, uh, that tends to hit bonds. And because that that flows through to equities, there's a technical element called uh, the discount rate. It does mean that when one is worried about rates and inflation, it can sort of hit both of them. And in particular, over the last month, really, we've seen that the self has actually been, been quite broad based. Thanks, Ben. And I mean, where do you think we are with valuations today? I wouldn't I would in no way ask you to try and call the bottom of the market. But but do current valuations suggest that we are perhaps closer to the end than the beginning? I mean, of sort of overvalued areas like the tech sector sort of can't become more realistic. Well, like I say, it, it's it's never obvious uh, in in real time where, where where things are. What I would say, if you look at valuations, uh, and this is some some work that we've done internally, led by Daniel and his team, and when we look at those valuations and compare them to where interest rates are, 
Um, arguably, uh, the recent moves do look a little oversold and sort of more, more qualitatively. I think we can see there's a lot of bad news in the price and a lot of market participants are, are focusing on all of these downsides. In reality, markets tend to be a sort of bounce of good news uh, and bad news. And particularly if you look at uh, some of the sentiment indicators as well, um, they're fairly universally negative in terms of the market side, which actually perhaps counterintuitively means that it could be taken as a, as a sign that markets are a little oversold and that, and that might mean uh, the valuations are perhaps slightly overdone. Whether or not they're really cheap, though, uh, that largely depends on the outlook for fundamentals and, and in particular company earnings. But on the current sort of run rate, um, there is some sense that, that maybe valuation, this devaluation um, might have, have gone a little bit further than really is, is fundamentally based. Okay, thanks, Ben. Um, Daniel, um, Ben mentioned fundamentals there. And I mean, to what extent are you now seeing economic weakness reflected in corporate earnings or guidance? I mean, my sense is that they, they've actually held up reasonably well, but do you think they could, that can last? Well, earnings growth can uh, continue a little bit while longer. Uh, I mean, despite the market turmoil, if we look at company earnings, uh, the consensus expects earnings per share growth of the all-country uh, benchmark for global equities of 11% for this year. is actually up from about 3% at the start of the year. And also looking further out, we see relatively decent growth of about 7 to 8% for 2023 and 2024, respectively. Of course, it could be argued that analysts are overestimating EPS growth given that central banks are tightening policy and there's, uh, the relative strength in earnings can't last. Uh, also, we are seeing rising inflation uh, is eroding consumer purchasing power, uh, and that's somewhat clouding the top-line sales growth of companies. However, it's still worth uh, bearing in mind that global companies in aggregate have considerable pricing power themselves, uh, and this has enabled them to report record profit margins, which are well above the sort of levels we had pre-COVID. Uh, importantly, as Ben was saying, uh, some of the negative equity performance we saw this year reflects lower valuations as stock prices adjust to a higher interest rate environment. Uh, this is instead of a deterioration in the underlying driver of returns from uh, company earnings. Daniel, I wonder if we can talk a bit about global recessionary pressures. I mean, we've just had some pretty grim statistics on UK GDP. How likely do you think a recession is here? Well, it's looking increasingly likely, certainly if you look at what the Bank of England is forecasting, uh, no growth for next year, uh, and also the possibility of negative growth sometime uh, before the, this year is out. I mean, if you look out the G7 economies, the UK is arguably the most vulnerable to a downturn. Uh, in April, we saw that the IMF forecast the UK would expand by 1.2% in 2023, and that was half the advanced economies. Uh, UK growth expectations since they have deteriorated. Uh, consumers now have to endure higher national insurance contributions, rising interest rates, and inflation at a 40-year high. Also, in April, we saw that uh, there was a 54% rise in the energy cap for 22 million customers, and this is likely to rise again in October. So it's no wonder that we saw that the May Consumer Confidence Index fell to its lowest level since records began way, way back in 1974. So given this backdrop, uh, we can see that the Bank of England is projecting very, very weak growth uh, coming up. And also the fact that if you look at household real income, uh, it's expected to fall by the second largest amount since records began. That's back in 1964. So considering this backdrop, uh, I'm afraid the 
risk of a UK recession uh, towards the end of this year or next has certainly increased. What about the rest of the world? I mean, how likely is a recession in the US, for example? Well, well let's focus on the US here. I mean, the, the longer inflation stays sticky and elevated, the greater the risk that the Fed will stay hawkish and raise rates to bring growth down and start a recession. I mean, higher interest rates are now being felt in the real economy. We see that the 30-year mortgage rate has increased to 5.4%, and that's up two full percentage points since the start of the year. It's now its highest point since the global financial crisis in 2008. We've also seen falling bond and equity prices. Uh, they're also dampening consumer confidence. Uh, the University of Michigan consumer confidence in the US was as lowest level for 50 years. Business confidence is starting to come down as well. And this all exerts downward pressure on growth. The positives are that... Um, businesses are still investing and we have a tight labour market. Um, as it stands, we look at the Atlanta Fed's estimate of GDP. It gives you an early reading and it's basically forecasting zero growth at all in this second quarter. And this followed a negative growth in that first quarter. So this means the US is on the borderline to enter a technical recession of two consecutive quarters of contraction. So the risk of a brief recession is certainly high. However, with growth, uh, GDP growth expected to recover in the second half of this year, this downturn is likely to be brief. Nevertheless, the outlook for 2023 is uh, more clouded, uh, to say the least. But of course, all of this will be dependent on inflation and how the Fed reacts to it. And I mean, we had some news on that last week with the Federal Reserve hiking by 75 basis points and and the Bank of England by a more tentative 25 basis points. Um, They appear to really be sort of, you know, on the side of we've got to tackle inflation first and, and, um, you know, then we can worry about the the economy and recession. I mean, but if, if the economic picture gets really bad. I mean, presumably they'll have to reconsider at some point. Well, absolutely. I mean, firstly, uh, central banks are trying to balance inflation with economic growth. At the moment, the focus is clearly on inflation. However, should job and economic growth start to deteriorate more than the central banks anticipate, they would be expected to tone down the hawkish uh, rhetoric. That could happen if, for example, US non-farm payrolls materially disappoint expectations or turn negative. At the very least, it probably mean interest rates would be raised by a more slowly rate. So the Fed may raise by, say, 25 basis points or 50 basis points, rather than raising by the 75 basis points we saw at the last meeting. Our base case is that there will be some let up on US short-term rates when inflation uh, starts to decelerate. Uh, we are now seeing that uh, in the core level of inflation, so excluding food and energy, uh, but it has to be clear to the Fed. For instance, in a Wall Street Journal uh, on the 16th of May, uh, we saw that Fed Chair Powell uh, stated that monetary policy will continue to tighten until there is clear and convincing evidence that inflation is decelerating towards the central bank 2% target rate. Assuming the consensus of economists is correct, the US inflation will trend down to below 6% by the end of the year and to 2.6% by the third quarter of 2023. So it may take some time to convince the Fed that inflation is under control. The Fed will also be looking at uh, other indicators to see that inflation is indeed slowing. First will be signs of uh, consumer inflation expectations, which have been become de-anchored from the 2% central bank target rate uh, from the highly accommodated policy since the pandemic. Second will be normalizing supply chains that will act to reduce the upward pressure on goods and services prices. Third will be uh, topping out in energy prices as the world gradually uh, begins to take energy security seriously.
necessarily following the Ukraine war and starts to invest in fossil fuels to boost oil supply. And fourth will be signs that the wage growth uh, does start to top out. The Fed will be worried that higher inflation drives up wages and makes it more difficult to uh, control inflation uh, or bring it under control. Okay, thanks, Daniel. And Ben, this is obviously a a very narrow path at central banks are having to tread here. You know, they've got a slow inflation while avoiding recession. Um, and, uh, I mean, if you if you were a betting man, would you, what are the chances of them navigating it successfully? Well, as you say, the, the, the path is narrow uh, and the Fed have been very clear that they, they see this path narrowing further. So, you know, I'd very much read that as them starting to get their, their excuses in early which is never the best sign. Um, I think what it does help, though, is there was this question over where the Fed would sit between controlling inflation and potentially inflicting a little bit of economic harm. Clearly, their rhetoric is that reminding everyone that their job, first and foremost, back to, to Feds of, of old and central banks more broadly, uh, inflation first, if you deal with inflation, then you're better able to, to deal with the economic fallout, those Daniel sort of highlighted there, there are some feedback loops. So their rhetoric today very much around bringing inflation down may moderate if we do start to see some of these indications. And it's those watch points that Daniel talked about, some of the cooling of consumer uh, expectations, some cooling in, in the labour markets that would really be where, where we're watching. And it's also important to remember, you know, you have to be clear on the lag effects between monetary policy being implemented and, and the bits coming through. And that's where the Fed, I think, struggles. It needs to try and anticipate uh, six, 12 months down the line what it does now to, to the economic impact. So it certainly is quite a narrow path. The other thing to, to bear in mind, though, is that not all recessions are equal. And we obviously get fi- fixated on technical definitions of recession, that is two consecutive quarters of of negative growth. And I think there is a risk that we get too distracted uh, along the lines of, are we going into a technical recession, yes or no, versus actually what's the economic outlook? Uh, and, you know, I, I sort of, there's not a huge difference between a couple of quarters of low, but just about positive growth and a couple of quarters of technical negative growth, if importantly, we have strong growth ahead of that, that any downturn, be that a technical recession or just a slowdown, is brief and how we can come out on the other side. So it is a narrow path, but I think you know the, the, the Fed is clear, the more it does now, the less it probably has to do in the future. And the other important factor to remember, now that interest rates are being raised and will be higher, it gives both uh, governments and central banks a little bit more scope to try and stimulate on the other side. So I think that's really what we need to, to be to be focusing more on these days. Thanks. And the um, I mean, we've seen bond yields kind of lurch higher again um, over the past few weeks. I mean, how, Ben, how much do you think they've um, priced in in terms of rate rises? And are you seeing any signs that central banks and markets may be out of step? Uh, well, the, the short answer is uh, a lot's been priced in. And I think the central banks have been very careful in their messaging. There were points last year when when markets were still uh, well, initially fairly relaxed. Central banks started to move and you start to see a little bit of dislocation between the two. Uh, and the central banks have been uh, have gotten a lot better at controlling the rhetoric. The Fed's always been very clear with, with markets where expectations are. We had a few wobbles between market expectations and the Bank of England 
over the last 12 months and, and regular listeners will recall us talking about that. But now I think uh, the, the two are, are, are relatively closely in lockstep. How accurate that forecast turns out to be is a different question, though. And if you know, you look just by the numbers as I look today, US is forecasting another two and a half percent worth of hikes over the next 12 months, expecting in around 12 months' time, the US interest rates will probably cap out around four and a half percent on the current run rate. That's quite a lot. Here in the UK, uh, there's about one and three quarters priced in. Uh, so the market expectation of three and a half percent base rates next year is pretty uh, is pretty high. But I wouldn't say that's significantly out of line with, uh, with, with the rhetoric from the central bank. But crucially, those are obviously high numbers. Those would naturally worry quite uh, quite a few people. But importantly, unlike a normal situation where you expect banks to just hike rates and then sort of level them out, both the banks and markets have said, yes, likely to peak next year. But then both central banks and uh, market expectations show a dipping in the subsequent year. And that comes back to this, this idea of the narrow path. But everyone involved in the market is being very clear. Yes, we're going to have to have 12 months of possibly slightly painful, possibly slightly restrictive policy just to bring inflation a little under control. But then there's the expectation that they will cut in the next two years. So if you look in three years' time, uh, UK uh, base rates are expected to be 275 uh, and in the US, uh, 3%. So a peak uh, and a cut. So pretty pr- pretty richly priced in, I think, in terms of the short term. But that's the, the crucial bit, how high the peak is, but then do can rates fall back towards more of a normal neutral rate? Okay, thanks, Ben. Um, Daniel, just just turning to you, I, I, um, I mean, obviously, it, it would be quite a game changer for both bond and equity markets, I think, if there were signs that inflation were peaking. And you mentioned a couple of things that you were looking at there. I mean, do you have any sense of how close that moment is? I mean, I know it's sort of what everyone's watching. Well, trying to peak where inflation is, is it's almost uh, how long's a piece of string. But I think as we discussed last month, even if uh, inflation does peak, uh, it's still likely to remain elevated this year. And high inflation is likely to keep bond yields at current levels at the very least. They could potentially rise again if inflation is priced in the upside and central banks again are forced to tighten monetary policy. But aside from these cyclical headwinds, for inflation uh, and from interest rates, uh, global bond investors must now deal with a new risk uh, from owning uh, fixed income assets on a longer term basis, uh, and that could drive up uh, yields further. And that's economic warfare. Uh, This follows the West's financial sanctions against Russia after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, most notably the freezing of Russia's overseas assets. And this includes the large bond holdings. Such action may encourage other major holders of US treasuries, i.e. China and Saudi Arabia, to recycle less of their country's trade surplus into foreign bonds over fears that these holdings could be seized in the future. Given this risk, uh, central banks outside the Western financial system will increasingly uh, probably view gold, which can be physically held within national borders, uh, as an alternative uh, to government bonds. And this could create new structural demand driver for bullion. So, in short, I think that the outlook for yields, uh, both in the short and long term, looks quite uh, uncertain at the moment, certainly to extremes. Great. Okay. Thanks, Daniel. Um, 
And just finally, I wonder if we could wrap up, you know, we're, we're sort of halfway through the year. Um, let's look into the, the second half of the year and ask, you know, what are you expecting for the global economy and stock markets? I mean, Ben, could, could you kick us off and talk about how you're feeling about the prospects for stock markets? Well, I mean, look, the, the the year so far has been pretty rocky for for stock markets. No one enjoys the sort of pulls that we've seen recently. But I think it's important to step back and just remind ourselves: so markets are meant to be volatile, and it's really embracing this sort of uncertainty that long-term investing is all about. So, from where we are now, I think we've seen a pretty broad-based sell-off driven by those inflationary concerns, potentially a little overdone on the status quo. As uh, as Daniel was highlighting earlier, there are reasons to be positive if you look at those business fundamentals. So assuming those re- those fundamentals can reassert themselves, we avoid some of those feedback loops. I think there are probably some potential opportunities, both for a rebound in the broad market, and particularly some of those harder hit areas, um, in particular a broad-based sell-off, there's probably some pockets of opportunity that can be embraced. But the sort of word of caution as we look slightly further out to the medium term, I think some of the challenges are building towards the end of end of next year. We're already fairly late cycle. So I do see a few storms gathering on gathering on the horizon. It's not to say head for the hills and you know you can markets can continue to perform pretty well even with uh, some of these concerns building uh, on the far side but certainly a lot of tailwinds and natural sports have been taken away so i think it's going to be bumpy um, but like i said i think there is some potential uh, given how overdone some of the recent moves look for a little bit of a rebound maybe something more akin to to a last hurrah before we have to start adjusting for a shifted economic outlook. Right. Okay. Thanks, Ben. And uh, Daniel, uh, same question to you about about the global economy and how you're feeling about that over the next six months. Well, I concur with what Ben's saying. I mean, certainly the economic outlook is cloudy and there's plenty of downside risk to growth. Uh, this coming from multiple factors. I think uh, some of the tightening that we're seeing is not just in interest rates, in financial asset prices. And these have reduced consumer wealth quite considerably, eroded business confidence, the highest cost of living, uh, also having an impact on consumers on how much they spend. Uh, we've also seen taxes on the rise in the UK too. Uh, however, the big plus, I think, is that labour markets remain quite buoyant at the moment. Uh, and this provides uh, some key support for growth. Uh, China policy has also changed uh, for the second largest economy. Uh, that too also adds another layer of support. So I think global GDP growth, instead of growing 3% plus, it's probably looking about between 2 and 3%, which does give us a cushion uh, to support the uh, the overall stock markets at these juncture. Uh, but as I said, I mean, the, the outlook does remain uh, very, very clouded uh, over the next 12 months or so. Great. Thank you, Daniel and Ben, for that roundup. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. All references and links spoken about in this episode can be found in the episode show notes. And you can find lots of other investment articles on evelyn.com. Please do subscribe to our show if you haven't done so and rate us and review us in the App Store. Until next time.